0: I do not know. believe it. I thought that was great. I'm a bit too young for that, but <laughs> hopefully some other people got it. Um, great. So, yeah, it's awesome to finally get to kind of be on stage and get to share a bit. So, my name is Ben Gerist and I'm uh, one of the new interns here at Christchurch Barnett. Um, it's awesome to be here. And so, I thought I'd just kind of start off with a little bit about myself. So, I was brought up in a Christian family. Uh, I... Yeah, they took me to church every week. Uh, We read the Bible. We prayed together. And I would have said for, yeah, most of my, well, all of my time at at school, I had a really growing and active faith um, and relationship with Jesus. And I'd say that only really uh, continued when I went to university. Um, When I went to university, uh, yeah, my faith only grew. And, yeah, when I graduated, I... Graduated uh, with a degree in maths at Southampton, and I really felt God calling me at that time into full-time ministry. But I had no clue what he wanted me to do or in what context it was. Uh, So then after that, I've had like a gap year this past year. And whilst I was on my gap year, um, I did some work working as an an intern at the church. And then he took me on this like six-month youth with a mission discipleship training school. This school was um, a real chance for me to get to know more about God, um, but also to get to know about more what, about what He had in store for me, His plans for my life. And it was incredible. But for the, first, for the last three months of my time there at the school, I was on mission. Um, I was on mission in Kenya and the Philippines. And, uh, yeah, I got to seeing some incredible stuff. We got to um, help so many people in these countries. Uh, we got to, yeah, share, share this hope of Jesus, this good news with so many people. We got to feed them and help them in every way we could. Um, and that was really, uh, yeah, encouraging to see how, um, how we were able to kind of help in these, in these, in these other countries. But it really did kind of uh, speak to me, uh, some of the stuff that I saw. Uh, one particular story. Um, that I remember when I was in the Philippines was uh, when I saw, uh, when we went to one of these kind of rural communities, um, this community was called Smoky Mountain, and the village was, basically it was called this name because the village was uh, built on a landfill site, and the Smoky Mountain was kind of the, f- the fire and stuff going up. But basically this whole community, their livelihood, their all their income, their profits was all from them sorting through all the rubbish on this landfill site. And it really um, yeah, shocked us, because uh, it, to make matters worse, the government a few months beforehand, they'd stopped putting all the rubbish in that landfill site and decided to move it somewhere the complete other end of the city. So basically, this whole community who, uh, yeah, this was their job, now they'd completely all lost their jobs. They had no source of income, no source of food, and yeah, they were there kind of stuck without anything. So we came along, and we were sharing the good news with them. We did get to feed them and help them in those ways as well. But it, w- it really kind of ha- broke our hearts to see these, uh, these kids sorting through this, uh, what was left of the rubbish, and picking up food that was there from months ago, and uh, people were thrown away. Or I remember seeing this kid drinking this black liquid that I was just, yeah, it just really concerned me about whatever that was. It can't have been good for them. But uh, about a week later, when, when our group was uh, reflecting back on this time, um, everyone was yeah sad. Quite a few in the group, uh, in my group, were crying, and we all felt so heartbroken. But I remember uh, one of these, one of the guys that we were sitting in a group. One of the guys next to me, uh, with tears in his eyes, suddenly stood up and faced all of us and said, "This is not right," and it, yeah, spoke to me. Social justice has been such a big thing, I think, on the hearts of a lot of um, the society today. We're thinking about those who are in need, who don't have um, anything else. And I think this is very much where our story kind of starts off in Nehemiah chapter 5. I mean, it's not quite as bad as the situation that I just described, but we are left in a situation here where there are people who are starving, there are people who don't have anything. And they're crying out for help. I think this story in Nehemiah chapter 5 is really for um, Christchurch here today. I think it's such important um, for you guys to hear this message. And I think it's really important that uh, we understand how maybe we, like the Jews, acted towards each other in this story. um, Or how the nobles and the officials acted towards the Jews. Or how even Nehemiah acted towards these guys. We can learn a lot from these people. So uh, to set the scene in Nehemiah chapter 5, there is a need, like I mentioned. There's a food crisis in Jerusalem. A lot of the Jews, uh, they've just come back and their families from exile and whatever else. And basically, uh, yeah, there's there's not enough food. There's a famine. But also, because the people have been working on the wall, they haven't been able to uh, look after the land as well. So there's almost a shortage from that as well. And to make matters worse, there's also the the king who's putting so much taxation. He's putting yeah a lot of taxes on the the, the Jews as well, that they can't afford. And also, uh, the, their friends, these other Jews, are lending. They're lending money so that the people can pay the Jews, uh, the king. But actually, they are uh, lending this money at very high interest rates. I yeah I don't know what the word was in your. Bibles, but in my Bible, it just says uh, very high interest rates. Basically we 've got four different groups of people who are mentioned at this, the first five verses of this chapter. we 've got the people who didn 't own any land, we 've got the people who had, a, who had to mortgage their land, and they were in danger of losing everything. we 've got those who couldn't afford to pay these high taxes on their land, and so they were forced to, yeah, do things like selling their houses or even selling their children as slaves. And you've got those who are lending to these people, but they're lending them at such high rates of interest that no one can actually afford to pay back. So then we get to verse 6, if you want to find it with me. Up until this point, they have all been working away at the wall. They've experienced a bit of opposition, like we talked about in the last chapter, in chapter 4, with regards to safety of enemies trying to come in. And now Nehemiah learns of these economic problems uh, that's been going on in the people, and he gets very angry. So I guess something that I kind of was suddenly struck with about this is actually how angry do we get about these kind of things nowadays? Do we get angry about uh, kind of when we see on the news about uh, people like homeless people or people who are really uh, struggling financially at the moment, whether it's in another country or even here on Barnet, are we really kind of that like fired up and angry about these things or do we just kind of let it, pass us by." He accuses this fourth group of people, these nobles and officials, of what they've been doing and saying that you are charging your own people interest. This was clearly a big deal, as even though the war only took 52 days to build, Nehemiah felt that it was so important that actually they should stop their work and he should have a big, uh, large gathering to uh, discuss um, and sort out this problem. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us and then it says that they had nothing to say and then it comes in verse 9 what you are doing is not right this is not right <coughs> Nehemiah in reverence for God knew God's will for these people he had a heart for the victims and he was conf- he confronted the nobles about it saying that this is not right what you are saying is not right then he goes on to say, "Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God, to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies?" My brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let's stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately everything you have falsely charged them for, and they agree. They agree, and they take this oath to promise. He calls on God to keep them accountable, and it's it's such a powerful thing about when he talks about folding out the, uh, yeah, to shaking out the folds of his robe. But but going back to that part where he says, what you're doing is not right, and then challenging them about walking in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies. I think the first question I'd like to challenge you is, do you fear God? I guess another word in the NIV translation, and it's commonly translated as well for this word to fear God, is this word revere. Nehemiah revered God. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to fear or revere god well simply put when we fear god in this context it's a good thing and it can be seen of as being in reverence deep in deep honor or having respect for him when you revere something you love it without any doubt i'd be tempted to even take it one step further and say that we're being asked here to direct our hearts towards god in awe of his glory and his love for us in romans chapter 3 which is a classic chapter on sin. It says that our chief sin is that we have no fear of God at all. So looking back in our our chapter, at verse 9, these Jewish nobles are challenged as to not fearing God, not centering their hearts on him. And so consequently, they fell into selfish and unjust ways. Nehemiah, in this situation, accuses them publicly in seeing God's heart for the poor and the oppressed. He tells them, this is not right. He encouraged them to give back immediately what, what they owe. F- these fields, the olive groves, the houses, um, the, the people, and any interest that has been charged on them. Throughout the whole Bible, we can see how, where there is such a strong bias towards the poor, that actually, as followers of Christ, we ought to take a stand against injustice, to look after the poor and the needy, in the same way that Jesus stood up for the poor and the needy, and for those in need, we ought to take a stand as well. We've got to stand up for truth, and Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Instead of being selfish or inward-looking, we should be fighting against poverty and slavery and injustice in whatever way we can. And as Nehemiah did, when we fear God, when our hearts are set on him, we can discern God's heart for others, seeing what injustice there is in the world, and making a stand, saying, this is not right. So, in the story, he has confronted them. He summoned the priests and the nobles to make an oath, and as they've promised. And then next, in verse 14, you can find that. It says, he starts sharing about how uh, he has been a governor for such a long time. There's even a bit of maths involved there, the 12th year and the 32nd year, I believe, um, which I would know about. Um, And talking about previous governors. He shared this with us about how all of these previous leaders in the land, they always continued the work of the previous governors in oppressing their, their people groups. Those placed, uh, th- those before him, did. Uh, there's a list of things that they did. They placed a heavy burden on the people. It says they took 40 shekels of silver from them, which is an incredible tax. They took food and wine, and their assistants lauded it over the people. But the most important thing that I noticed that he said about these people was that they had no reverence for God. They, did, they made it a practice to profit at the expense of the people. For Nehemiah, even though the area had had such a historic historical significance in doing things one particular way in uh, such, for such a long time, there was so much of a big expectation for him to kind of follow suit in uh, in oppressing these people as as the people before him had done. But now it was time for him to say, no longer. He tells us they even had an opportunity to receive the governor's food quota to oppress these Jews even more, but he never did. These predecessors were unwilling to change. They were selfish, and they only looked to their own desires, not that of God. But then when we read in verse 15, it says this, they had done all these bad things, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like this. I did not act like that. Even though these others were all doing it, caught in their worldliness because he feared God, because his heart was set on God, he said, but I did not act like that. I did not follow suit. I feel like there are so many pressures in our society today to conform to this kind of uh, socially accepted worldview, to follow the crowd and just accept, well, everyone's doing it, so I might as well follow as well. When I went to university, as you can imagine, there were loads of people around me who were kind of following their own pleasures, uh, following the almost university expectation when you go to university that you're going to go out and do lots of partying, you're going to be drinking, sleeping around, uh, taking drugs, all these kind of things. And because university is such a buzzing place, you just feel that actually because everyone's doing it, that's okay, right? For me, I didn't actually struggle with this. It wasn't much of a problem for me. But one other kind of area that maybe was more subtle, uh, one subtle thing that I noticed was actually in uh, this idea of having a drive for success, for wealth, to be better than everyone else. I feel that this drive was just as powerful at university and following university. I always assumed that I would be the very best mathematician with the best um, graduate job and the highest paid salary. And I know God has called each of us uh, to our own particular careers in different sectors and there's nothing wrong with working hard. But I realized that I was actually, when I was at university, that my heart was uh, starting to drift away from doing things for him and actually uh, I was starting to do it more for my own selfish ambition of being kind of this successful rich person. God really humbled me then later on when uh, he showed me that instead actually he wanted me to kind of work in the church where actually that would probably no longer be much of an option to, to, to I mean, yeah, have such a, a high-paid graduate job. Um, there's nothing wrong with living in the world, and God wants us to be a part of the world, to have influence in every area, to love everyone no matter what. But here we are challenged, as Nehemiah was, to avoid living in the world, avoid this worldliness, worldliness, by fearing God, by aligning our hearts on him. In Proverbs 16:6, 6, I love uh, this particular verse, and it says this, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for, and through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. I guess a, gra- a great one that's kind of along the similar points about not being conformed to the world is in Romans 12:2. You know, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the, the trans, by, by transforming by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His pleasing, good and perfect will. And that brings us on to our third and final point. When we fear God, we can follow in Christ's example. Following along in the story, now in verse 16, He said He didn't act like His predecessors. He didn't live a worldly, selfish life. But it says, instead, I devoted myself to the work of the wall. He said, this is not right in the first part. Then he said, I did not act like this in the second part. And now he's saying, I devoted myself to the work. And that's the work of God. After saying no to evil, we need to replace it by something, by saying yes to God. In the same way, Jesus lived a selfless life. He showed love to all those he met. And he gave himself up for us all. I'd say in the same way, Nehemiah selflessly worked on the wall, God's will for his life. He was generous and loving to those he met, and even travelers who could pass by. And he put his life on the line against his enemies, despite what everyone else was saying, and obeyed God till the work was done and beyond. Instead of doing what the nobles were doing, instead of doing what the predecessors were doing, He, out of reverence for God, he devoted himself to the work of the wall. He ordered all his men to work and not acquire any land. He supplied food and wine for hundreds of Jews and travelers and never demanded the governor's allotted allotted food. And you can see all of that um, in verses 14 to 16. Nehemiah is an incredible example of Christian leadership. In dealing with those in his community, both from the external uh, influences and threats to also the problems within uh, the group that he was looking after. He stayed faithful to God's big picture plan uh, despite anything that happened. So finally, in aligning our hearts with that of God, we ought to not only say no to sin, but also say yes to God's will and purpose. Nehemiah went on with the positive as well as refusing the negative. So I want you to be encouraged by this verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, which tells us, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. So how should we respond to this today then? When we fear God, we can discern his heart, we can evade worldliness, and we can follow in Christ's example every step of the way. When we fear God, we can discern his heart. If our hearts are aligned with that of God's heart, we can see what breaks his heart. We can be aware of the social injustice around the world, and we can act upon it. It's incredible that we have so many compassion ministries here in the church, everything from the food bank to the winter shelter, and there's so many more. But actually, these are all there because they are out of of God's heart for these people. Maybe we should be thinking about how, do, how can we get involved in these different compassion ministries. Or if not them, then how can we be going out into the rough streets of Barnet, for example, or wherever else, and actually helping them, feeding them physically, but actually helping them spiritually as well. When we fear God, we can evade worldliness. This is an easy one. There's so much change going on at the moment in society and even within Christian organizations. But our job is to seek God's heart for these things. If God decides to bring about change, we should be supporting it, even if, uh, even if it's against our own desires. And if things happen to change in society or anywhere that's not in line with God, then we need to be thinking about what we can do to change it. Christians uh, have such an influence every single area of life, everything from media to healthcare to uh, literature. I don't even know to laws. What can we be doing in bringing God's kingdom here on earth in every single different sphere? Of influence that we're involved in. And finally, when we hear God, when we fear God, we can follow in Christ's example. Just like Nehemiah, once we've done these other things, we are left with the option. Having said no to sin and worldliness, with our hearts aligned on God, we can now say yes, yes to his plan for our lives, his perfect and pleasing will. Are we listening wholeheartedly to what God wants us to do, or are we just following our own desires? Are we being obedient to God, even if, uh, even in the easier times or the harder times? Or are we just asking him to bless uh, these things in our lives that we're already doing? I'd like to just pray for us now and uh, just help us to be reminded of those, those three things. That when we fear God, we can discern his heart. When we fear God, we can evade worldliness. And when we fear him, we can follow in Christ's example throughout everything. Yes, God, we we thank you for um, being here with us today. We thank you that uh, you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross and that we can uh, have such a close relationship with you now. Help us to revere you in every area of our lives, to be able to discern your heart for others, to be able to avoid worldliness and sinful desires, and to follow in Christ's example, giving up our lives fully to you. Amen.